When I was a youth pastor, there was a, a young man in our uh, youth ministry who, um, well, how do you say it nicely? Anybody know what I'm thinking? <laughs> he, was a, he was a tough, he was a tough hombre to deal with. He, he, uh, it's no wonder uh, his dad had left him. He was the oldest of four boys. Most of the pain and tension had fallen square on his life and had left him uh, frustrated and at sometimes manipulative and, and, uh, and angry and rejected and empty. And, and I can remember dealing with him over and over and over. And it was just, it was always, it was complicated. And I remember him playing on our worship team, our worship band in the youth service. And, and I would say, hey, man, I, I need you to play this instrument. He said, well, no, I only want to do this. This is all I'm going to do because this is what I do. And I said, look, man, it's a, it's a team. You know, you have to do what supports the team. But no, he didn't want to do that. He, did, he didn't want to have any of that. He wanted his own way. And so he and I and, and other authorities in his life, we were just at odds from time to time to time, year in and year out. He was a good kid. You liked him. Everybody liked him. But man, it was tough to deal with him. But he kept coming to church. His parents made him come to church, kept coming to youth group. He came, came there on his own. And then one Wednesday night, he walked into the youth service and I ran right into him in the back of the room. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? And he looked at me, and when I looked at his face, I immediately knew that something was different. But I, I, I said, how are you doing? He said, I just want to tell you something. I said, what? He said, I got saved. I said, how's that again? He said, I, well, I, I got saved. I said, well, did you go to a... Did you, go, did you go somewhere? Did you go? There was a big uh, Bible club meeting on campus at the time. Did you go to that club meeting? No. What, uh, uh, Brownsville was uh, ripping it back then. Did you go to Brownsville? No. Well, what happened? I mean, I've, I've worked with you until I thought it was going to beat my brains out. And, uh, and here you are. What, how the audacity of you. What happened? <laughs> he said, man, I just... I was just empty. He said, I just started talking to God in my bedroom last night. So I just prayed and asked God to forgive me. And I asked Him to come into my life and change me. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, that young man was changed. He was never the same again. And I wasn't even there to see it. But he was never the same again. When I looked into his soft and peaceful eyes, I knew that something had changed. You could, you could tell on his face. You could tell on his countenance. He was not the same person that I saw the week before. What is that? Let me tell you what that is. It's supernatural. It's not natural. It's not normal. A person just doesn't go from angry to not angry. A person doesn't go from, from filled with fear to confident and at peace. A person just doesn't make that transition on their own. What, what happened? That's supernatural. The greatest miracle that God will ever perform on the earth is to change a person's life. 
It's not to part the Red Sea. It's not to heal the blind man. It's not to flood the entire world and have a man build an ark to save humanity. The greatest miracle in the world is a changed life. We've been teaching a series called Heaven to Earth. Where the supernatural touches the natural. There are points or moments in time when God will reach. We've used this door as a picture. When God will reach from behind the door in the supernatural and and He'll reach into the natural and, and at some point or moment act supernaturally in order to reveal Himself. Last week, the the moment we talked about was spiritual gifts. Today, I want to talk to you about that supernatural moment of new birth. When God reaches from the supernatural into the natural and He intervenes and acts supernaturally. New birth. John chapter 3, 1 through 4 is an interesting passage. I want to give you the background of it before we read it. In John chapter 2, the the chapter of John, John chapter 2, is about new things. Jesus went to a wedding. And the first miracle that he did is the wedding coordinator ran out of wine. And they brought vats of water and Jesus turned the water into wine. It's a miracle that he performed. And then after that in John chapter 2, Jesus rushes into the temple and he cleanses it out of dishonest people that were in there selling things for unfair profit, making money, and and they had turned the temple into a den of thieves, the Bible said. And so Jesus cleanses the temple out, runs runs the money changers out of the temple. Now, all of that was communicating the radical newness that was brought about by Jesus' ministry. Jesus was the new wine that wouldn't fit in the old wineskin. John chapter 2 is about the newness, the new things that Jesus is bringing by His ministry. Now in John chapter 3, Jesus is raising a lot of eyebrows and a teacher of the law comes to Him at night with some questions. And this conversation extends from John 2 into John 3 with new birth. We went from new wine, the newness of Jesus' ministry, the radical nature of Him cleaning the temple out, and now we go to new birth. Look at John chapter 3, 1 through 4, and let's read it this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Go ahead and go to 2. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I can tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now, the complication with this phrase, born again is that in the Greek, it actually has two different meanings. One meaning is born the second time. The second meaning is born from above. The problem is no one English word can say both things. So when Jesus said, a man must be born again, what Nicodemus heard was one of the meanings and not the other one. What Nicodemus heard was, how can I be born a second time? But when Jesus said it, when He spoke it, He meant it to mean born from above, not born physically twice, which is the way Nicodemus took it. 
Separation from God and being dead inside your spirit is the natural state of humankind. The world is broken, and in our natural state, our, the spiritual part of us is not alive. We're not born with that part of us alive. You take a person living in the middle of a, a broken creation with broken systems, all you have to do is watch CNN or Fox News or any other news media outlet, and you can figure out pretty quick the whole world's broken. Things like aren't working right. Would you agree? I mean, we've got nuclear bombs about to be built. We, we, every, a famine and, and uh, violence and all, all kind of things. You look into American culture, the breakdown of the family. Things are not working right. They're broken. But you, you, you take a person living in this broken creation in the broken human systems with broken relationships who are filled on the inside with brokenness and then you fill them with the life of God. Internally, they've changed at the deepest part of who they are. And then that change begins to work its way from the inside out. That's not normal. It's not natural. It's supernatural. When I looked at that young man in our youth group and I saw the change that started to come over him, that wasn't normal. It just wasn't going to happen in the course of time. He wasn't going to outgrow that. It takes an act of God for a person's life to be changed. Just like it takes an act of God for the Red Sea to part or for the blind, blind eyes to be opened, it takes an act of God for a person's life to be changed. I think in the South, because we've been raised in the Bible Belt, we think you get it through osmosis. We think if you go to church, you got it. We think if you're a member, you got it. We think if you own a Bible, you got it. You think if mama was a Christian, you got it. But I can tell you, none of those things mean you got it. It's a decision, but it's not just a decision. It's an experience, but it's not just an experience. It's a confession, but it's not just a confession. It's a supernatural act of God. He has to be involved. No one can change a person. We can't even change ourselves. You ever gone on a diet? You can lock right there with that flesh, can't you? Oh, I want that fudge brownie. I mean, it's not just making up your mind. It's not determination. It's not commitment. It's not morality. I can't talk you into it. I've tried. It never works. I can't talk you into being born again. I can't talk you into having a new birth because it's not a purely intellectual pursuit. It's not just making... If you could just make up your mind and live the abundant life that Jesus offered, then His death was a waste. He could have spared His Son and just let us all work it out. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, unless you're changed from the inside by God's supernatural power. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down two words, new birth, new birth. And I want you to write down a definition for that. New birth is communication of divine life to the soul. New birth is communication of divine life to the soul.
when God has communicated into my inner man, into my inner being, into my soul, divine life. I have a new birth. It's the new birth. Occasionally I meet people who, who just can't, who just can't seem to live the Christian life. Have you met people like that? They, they just don't seem to think or to see or to feel or the, the way other Christians do. If you, could, if you could get them to say it, they'd probably, or, or I don't even know if they're conscious of it, they seem to think the Christian life seems easier for other people to live than me. You ran into people like this? You, maybe you've thought this about yourself. There was a time I thought it. The Christian life just seems easier for other people than it does for me. Maybe it was the way I was raised. Maybe it's what happened to me. Maybe it's where I came from. I don't know. But, but I see people, and they don't ask the question, but you can hear it through their other questions. Why do I struggle so hard to live this life? Why does it seem so much harder for me? I mean, you see people, that they, they pray, they do the things they're supposed to do, they, they, they go off like a Roman candle for a while, going after God, going after God, going after God. Something happens, something breaks, something goes wrong, the next thing you know, can't find them. Don't know where they are, don't know what happened to them, don't know what they're doing now. And you see this. What, it, what is that about? I've seen people try by their own effort. If I could, if I could just learn... I, I, you, you have um, intellectual people who say, if I can just learn how Christians behave, I'll observe, I'll read the Bible, I'll figure out how Christians are supposed to behave, I'll behave that way and I'll be a Christian. But that's not being a Christian. That's not having a new birth. Even if you could change your actions, could you change your attitude? Even if you could change your attitude, could you change your motives? Even if you could change your motives, could you change your thought patterns? Even if you could change your thought patterns, could you change your thoughts? Even if you could change any one of them, can you change all of them? No. The point I'm trying to make to you this morning is it's hopeless. The quicker you give up, the better off you are. Do what that young man in our youth group did. Just open your heart and mind and say, Jesus, I can't do it. I need you to speak divine life into my soul and make me alive and give me the power to live the life you're calling me by vision to live. In that moment, His Spirit moves in and touches your spirit. And He enters your life. And on the inside, a change will start to happen. Maybe, maybe sometimes when you grow up around church culture, because you know how it works, I know a lot of people that because they know how the church works, they figured out how it works, what makes it work. I know you meet here and you meet this time and this is how you support it and this is how you develop the funding for it and this is how you do the volunteers. And I know how it all works. They think because they know how it all works and because they understand it, that's the same thing as being connected to it. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher. Some people even think he was the number one leading teacher in the city of Jerusalem, the holy city. 
And Jesus was having the same conversation with them. You may have grown up a Jew. You may have been trained a Jew. You may know all the Jewish stuff. You may, know, you may fast twice a week. You may give an offering. You may do all the stuff you're supposed to do. You may be behaving right, Nicodemus, but you've got to be born again. You've got to have new birth. Jesus was bringing in this, this new thing. And we get stuck in it. Maybe, maybe if you're sitting here this morning and you felt that sense of being stuck, maybe it's because the supernatural change has never happened. Maybe it's never really happened inside. Maybe it's because you've never moved from death to life. Maybe it's not even fair for you to expect yourself to live the Christian life. Because it's impossible. If you could, there'd be no need for a new birth for anybody. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. I want to show you one more verse. This morning, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Paul the Apostle wrote this. If you remember who he was, he used to be Saul, the persecutor and killer of Christians. And then he was translated into Paul, the Apostle, who wrote much of the New Testament. Now that's different, isn't it? He didn't do that on his own. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Let's look at it. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. You see that? Paul's saying, I I used to look at Jesus from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Why? Look at the next verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He was turned from Saul to Paul. Paul knew about the new creation because he was one. He says, I once judged Christ by human standards, but now I've met him. I've passed from death to life. Christ didn't change. I changed and now I see him different. Look, we can cross-examine Jesus on Larry King all we want. But the thing is, we're being, Jesus is being cross-examined by people who are looking at Him from a worldly point of view from the outside in. The only way to see Jesus right is from the inside out. You've got to look inside and see Him for as He is the way that, the way that Paul did. Christianity can be examined from the outside, but it can't be experienced. It's not the same. Paul had become a new creation. It's that moment where supernatural reaches into the natural, where heaven touches earth. The supernatural power of God is the only thing that could take a murderer and a hater and clean his hands and clean his heart and fill his life with such fire and passion that the Bible says that Paul had been poured out like a drink offering. Only, the, only a supernatural act of God could do that. Now, this is a profound experience that makes a person new. Do you remember that line in John chapter 1 through 4 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Because we've grown up in the Bible Belt, we tend to make that mean something that Jesus probably didn't intend. We make that to mean... Unless a person's born again, they can't see heaven. Now, I'm not saying that's not true. It is true. It's just not what this verse says. Because to John the Baptist, the kingdom of God was a present reality, not a future one. 
He was saying, yes, okay, fine. Jesus may have been thinking, fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. Yes, we know there's heaven. We know you can't experience it unless you have a new birth. But what Jesus was talking about was now. There's a kingdom of God that exists now, today, here, October 4th, 2009. And there's only one way to get in on it. It's a new birth. It's to experience the kingdom of God. So you may be sitting here thinking, so if I ask Christ into my life, I'll be perfect. Not exactly. You'll be a new creation, but you'll not be perfect. I have two sons, 11 and 7. And just because they were born and became human didn't mean that they were born mature. They're human, new birth, Christian, believer, divine life is being communicated in the soul. Seven and 11 year old human, but not mature, not full grown. But what happens at the moment of new birth is God puts the potential, God puts the seed of all you can be, of all his vision and destiny for your life to be is he puts it in you. But you have to grow into it. You don't just, it's not a just add water situation. Because everybody says, well, I know a person and they got saved and next week they were back out doing the same thing. Why don't you quit following people? Mind you, you know, I hate country music. But there's a line resonates in my soul right now. Mind your own business. You won't be minding mine. All right. I'm sorry. I may need a new birth. What I'm saying to you is, no. No, you won't be perfect. And I'm sorry if anyone's ever led you to believe that you would be or that any Christian is. No Christian's perfect. We all stand at level ground needing the supernatural power of God to give us a new birth, not a physical birth the second time, but a birth from above. Where that moment where heaven will touch earth and we'll become new. And from that beginning of a relationship begins to flow divine life through that relationship that changes us season by season is we go through life. And then we grow and grow and grow. There was another, uh, a, young, a young person in our youth ministry when we were in Florida, a teenage girl named Katie. Uh, Katie was such a fascinating person. She came from a family that didn't know God, but her younger sister had started to come to our youth ministry, and so she started to come a little bit later. But somehow she had become so captivated by this concept that there was a God out there, that He was real, and maybe He loved her. And she would sit about three rows back, and she would just lock in. And as I would teach, she would just, she would just think. You could look at her and tell she was just thinking. 
And week went by, and week went by, and week went by, and another week, and another week. And eventually, Katie asked Jesus to come into her life and to give her a new birth. Well, and he did. And then she happened to have a profound impact on a young man named Trevor who was the, well, he was the, probably the number one drug-dealing teenager in the high school where, of 2,000 students where, that was close to our church. And Trevor came to that point where he asked Jesus to come into his life and give him a new birth. And God did. And as time went on, that couple surrendered their life to God. They got married. They surrendered themselves to God in every way. And there's so many things I could tell you that I don't have time this morning. But what happened is, is they began to hear God call them to the mission field. And, and Trevor going from a radical, drug-addicted, drug-dealing life to a radical life with God, he just wanted to go. He didn't have time to get trained or nothing. So he found the shortest training school in the nation and went to it. And they blazed the trail and they went to the Maldive Islands where it's illegal to share your faith. And they operated a surf shop in the front and a mission in the back where they would witness to people one-on-one from the Muslim faith. After seven years uh, of working in that field, they, they came home to rest. Trevor called me this week. I haven't heard from Trevor in several years. Years, many years. He called me this week. Secretary said, hey, there's somebody named Trevor on the phone. I don't know. I said, Trevor? Yeah. I said, let me talk to him. I said, man, what are you doing? I said, man, we went over and I realized that I just didn't have enough training. He said, I would sit down with a Muslim uh, theologian and I, I didn't even know where to start. And so he said, I came home to rest and to train. He said, to be honest with you, we're about burnout. I mean, we just, it just ate our lunch. And he said, have you heard of Columbia? I said, yeah. He said, well, we're in Columbia, South Carolina. And my wife kept urging me to go get train, more training. And he said, I just, I didn't want to do it. I'm not the, I mean, you know, this is a drug head guy. I'm not the academic type. I don't want to go do no training. I just want to go. I want to rest and go back. He said, but my wife talked me into it, so I, I went over to the, have you heard of Columbia University? I said, yeah, I've heard of Columbia University. He said, well, I went there and I, I studied. He said, I, it, it blew me away. I was so invigorated by it. He said, I got my bachelor's degree. And it was so intoxicating to me. He said, I went and got my master's. I said, well, just like that? You just got your master's? He said, yeah, I just got it. I said, Trevor, because I'm picturing this guy with dreadlocks and a surfboard at 17 years old. I knew what he was. I said, Trevor, are you kidding me? I said, what was your, what was your BA in? He said, uh, Humanities and Biblical Studies. So what was your master's in? in, in, in some uh, communication field to Muslims. I said, what are you doing now? He said, man, I, what I'm doing is I'm doing orientation and training young missionaries so when they go, they won't make the same mistakes that we did, but I'm training the missionaries that just go to the Islamic faith. And I'm equipping and teaching here. Now, I just want to tell you something. If you'd have known Trevor the way I knew him, you would know that that's new birth. Divine life came into that young man's soul, and it changed him. It changed him forever. Trevor and Katie have never been the same. And I said, Trevor, I'm so proud of you. Man, I'm so proud of you.